probably some 40 or 50 years, I read a, led a youth group down to Haiti. And you talked about wanting to see poverty. You will. One of the things that absolutely astounded me, um, the group of people we worked with, the, the pastor that was there, talked about their church, they give the gospel message. At the same time, they also teach people how to use, how to boil their water, clean drinking water, and so forth. Because there's a little stream that flows through the alley of every street, and they wash their clothes in the stream. The donkeys, the dogs, everyone uses the stream. It's filthy. It's just filthy. They wash their children in the stream. They drink from the stream. And so the pastor and the church were teaching them how to boil the water, have clean water, and drinking water safe. The next day they go back and they were drinking from the stream again. And he would ask them why. Well, we're used to it. That's our taste. Didn't want to change. I thought, oh, how difficult it is to minister in that place. Aren't we a lot like that? <laughs> we like the stuff that we keep chasing that leaves us empty. And we come back for the same thing. That's why there's forgiveness. Father, thank you for the word of God. As we open it this morning, would you, Holy Spirit, be our teacher? Again, we remember Doug and Jacob on this trip. We ask your blessing, your care for them. Pray for Jeff this week as he joins his sister and goes to Phoenix and just the ministry they will have and with their father. Um, Lord, would you bless that effort as well. Lord, it's so good to see those whom, for whom we have prayed back with us and worshiping today. You have been so good to us. And Lord, we're mindful to remember that even when our situation seems um, bad or unfortunate, you are still good, always. We thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's just say, oh, sorry about that because it's almost lunchtime, but Let's just say a father goes to a burger place and buys his son a burger and some french fries. What's the first thing the dad does? Just one. He just borrows one, right, from his son. And the son goes, Dad, those are my french fries. How's that father going to teach the son a powerful lesson right there. I bought those fries. They belong to me. He could say that. He could say, uh, yeah, you're right, son. I bought them. I gave them to you. You're your, They're yours. And then depending how his son reacts, he can teach some more things. God says, here, I've given this to you. You say, it's my stuff. 
It's my stuff. You get 10%, Lord, but it's my stuff. We are uh, in part two of um, stewardship. What do I owe you? Let me just put a bunch of stuff on the board. It's probably just going to go right past you, but just for us to think a little bit about today. 737 million people live on below the poverty line in this world today. 737 million. Not about twice the population in the U.S., something like that. Whereas the poverty line for the U.S. is 25,100. That's about $58 a day. Just compare it. 1.3 billion, no access to safe drinking water. I just shared with about some of them. A few years ago, at one point, the world's three richest men, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and Allen, Mr. Allen, their combined wealth exceeded by 20 billion the total um, gross national product of the 43 poorest countries which had a population of 600 million. All that invested in three men. Um, here's some things just to, just to do a little bit of uh, comparing here. Compare U.S. giving to overseas Protestant ministries. Protestant here, overseas ministries. We spend twice as much on flowers. Have to increase that next time at Mother's Day, men. Three times that on our swimming pools. Five times that amount on our pets. Seven times on sweets. Seventeen times what we spend on overseas ministries. We drink in our, that's uh, not diet drinks, it's diets. Sports, soft drinks, there it is. And 140 times that amount on legalized gambling. Another set of related uh, stuff. Americans, about 5% tithe. About 5% of Americans tithe. 80% of Americans give around 2%. These are 2017 figures. Christians, we give a whopping 2.5%. GD means the Great Depression. Back then we gave 3.3% when we were really impoverished. Um, amazingly, the lower incomes usually give greater percentage than the higher incomes. Average giving per week, uh, people going to church, is $17 a week. I just did a little figuring. If that were our case, approximately 75 are average attendance. If everybody gave 17 a week, that'd be half of our budget. Go figure, okay? Uh, from those 75,000 income and above, 1% gave 10%. 30% of people that attend church never give anything. But it's nice to have the lights on and the heat on for everybody. And here's an interesting one. 49% of all church giving is done with a credit card. Uh, 
we don't have a little machine back there by our box, which means we're probably losing 49% of our income. See, our, the Bible teaching on wealth, these, these, these aspects of stewardship and relationships and discipleship, they're all tied together there. We can't, we can't pick and choose out of those things. I'm going to share with you four principles of, of, uh, of what the Scripture teaches this morning. What we're going to do is this. This morning I'm going to basically share from the Old Testament uh, the next two Sundays, we're going to be in the Old Testament yet. Uh, and one of those Sundays, just in Psalms and Proverbs, or what Psalms and Proverbs has to say about our wealth. Now, you're tempted here maybe to say, what do you mean our wealth? Have you ever seen my checkbook? No, I haven't seen your checkbook. But you are wealthy. I guarantee you, you are wealthy. Come back from Haiti and tell them they're wealthy. The, the first principle I want to share, and yes, this is kind of rehashing last week, but God created, last week we said God created and he owns it all, and he declared, declared that all things are good. I want you to let that soak in for a little bit. God created things and said these things are all good. The only time he said it's not good is after he created man. And he said that it's not good that he should be alone. What he created, he declared good. Genesis 1.31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And again from Psalm 24 that we also looked at last week, The earth is the Lord's. The whole earth is the Lord's, not just... 10%. And the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. I'm not going to belabor this point. We're just going to start with it again today. To remind ourselves that all this belongs to God. Which means if he has given us a portion of it, we are stewards of that. We are caretakers of what he has given. In other words, we do away with this thought that, well, Lord, um, thanks for all this. Um, I'll give you your 10%. No, 100% belongs to him, even when it's in our pocket. A pastor got up one day and he says, I have some um, bad news and some good news and some bad news. The bad news is we need a new, he said roof, I'll say parking lot, okay? The bad news is we need a new parking lot. The good news is we have the money for it. Bad news is that money's still in your pocket. But it's there. Well, principle number two then, if everything belongs to God, principle number two is that God gives wealth and the ability to enjoy it. God gives wealth and the ability to enjoy it. As a young pastor, I had this, I had the world all straightened out, you see. Um, and I thought that uh, all of rich was evil and all of poor and poverty was um, godly, good. I got down to Haiti and I saw materialism. Little kids 
running after saying, give me money. That's about the only English they knew. Give me money. We turned them into little materialists. And I have pastored a church with a lot of wealth and men, couples who gave sacrificially a lot of money under the desire that no one else would know. It was between them and God. And I saw godly people giving. God gives wealth and he gives the ability to enjoy it. Uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 8, and you know that Deuteronomy is one long uh, speech by Moses. It's his farewell speech reminding Israel of where they've been, where they're going, and what God is doing. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, uh, Moses is saying, when you guys get into the promised land, um, be careful. Be careful, because you're going to tend to think, look what I have done. Look what's mine. Behold, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Every morning, instead of, Lord, i got to go to work again. Lord, thank you for the job and thank you for the ability to gain wealth. The um, second passage I have this morning is actually from 1 Samuel 2, 7. And you recognize the picture of Hannah. In Hannah's prayer, a humble handmaiden says, The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. This is her prayer when Hannah realized that God's blessing was upon her. In fact, um, Mary's prayer in the Gospels uh, follows Hannah's prayer a lot. And both of these young ladies knew the Psalms well. Hannah's prayer, the Lord makes poor and he makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. In the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 29, um, this is the last chapter in Chronicles, and uh, they, are, they are gathering a, an offering for the building of the temple. Remember, David wanted to build a temple to house the Ark of the Covenant, and God said to David, no, you're not going to build that. Your son is going to build that. You have blood on your hands. You're a warrior. Your son is going to build that. So as they were gathering their offering, um, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 9, then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. Lots of stories, jokes, funnies, so to speak, going about the offering plate going by and people, I didn't mean to give that much, or putting it in the box. Wait a minute. So the New Testament says, don't give reluctantly. For the Lord loves a, a cheerful giver. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they had given freely to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced greatly. So um, this, this prayer, a few verses later in verse 12, is from David. Both riches and honor come from you. Which is an echo of what Hannah just prayed. 
In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. All of that rests with you. Run to the book of Job, and uh, um, Job in his in his questioning of why is God treating him like this. Job was also brought under conviction, and he and he shared this. He said this to the Lord. If I have made gold my trust or called fine gold my confidence, if I have rejoiced because my wealth was abundant or because my hand had found much, this also would be an iniquity to be judged, for I would have been false to God above. If I come before God and say, God, I've done this, um, it's because of my ability, my confidence in who I am. I've done this. This would be iniquity, a sin for God to judge, this selfishness, for I would have been false to God. One of the great books of the Old Testament is um, Ecclesiastes. And in there, the, the greatest, uh, the, the wisest man who ever belie- who, who believed, the wisest man who ever lived, lived, and I believe it was Solomon who wrote uh, Ecclesiastes, and people argue over that. But much wisdom came out of this, uh, this man. And Ecclesiastes uh, shares much of that with us. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 26. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This is vanity and a striving after wind. Let me read the the next one also from Ecclesiastes 5.19. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is a gift of God. Everyone to whom God has given wealth of possessions and power to enjoy them or the ability to enjoy them. Um, years ago, the wife of our fallen president, Kennedy, married a rich uh, man, I believe, in shipping, made his wealth. But his daughter said this, happiness is not based on money, and the greatest proof of that is our family. Happiness is not based on money. Solomon said, Whoever has wealth, to whomever God has given wealth and possessions and the power or ability to enjoy them. How often are we so caught up in making it and uh, staying ahead and paying the bills we forget to enjoy what God has given us? The third principle is that the giving of our wealth let me let me review. God created and declared all things good. Then he gives wealth and the ability to enjoy that wealth. And then thirdly, giving of our wealth involves worship. Giving of our of our wealth involves worship. You see, God desires obedience. Um, in the Old Testament, there were several ways of giving. One was required giving and uh, that went toward tithe and in that theocracy toward taxes. 
but there was required giving. And then there was uh, generosity or voluntary giving. Um, we're, we're going to get into the, the tithe and understand that from the Old Testament and whether it's valid for the new in a couple of weeks. Um, but it is generally figured that the, the Israelites had to tithe approximately 33 and a third percent. So that leaves us in the New Testament saying, well, by all means, gladly we'll go back to the Old Testament tithe of 10%. They gave approximately 33 and a third percent. Part of it was to the tribe of Levi who served as priests in the, uh, uh, the, the temple. Part of it was, was for the tax for everyone for the poor, to take care of the poor. Our wealth involves worship. And so part of the giving in the Old Testament, people could just bring an offering of thanksgiving for no other reason. No one uh, wrung it out of them. No one, no one twisted their arm to come bring an offering. It was an offering of thanksgiving. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, um, I'd, I'd like you to turn there to that passage this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 12. And I'm going to begin in verse 8. And again, Moses is saying, when, I, when God brings you into the land, Israel was so tempted after they got into the land to say, look at what our hands have gotten us. This is what we did. Moses said, be careful, lest your heart be lifted up in pride. In verse 8 of chapter 12, Deuteronomy. You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing that which is right in his own eyes. For you have not as yet come to the rest and the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. But when you go over the Jordan and live in that land that, you're, that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and we crossed that Jordan this morning in Sunday school, okay, so we're there. And when he gives you rest from all the enemies around so that you live in safety, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the, con the contribution that you present, and all your finest vow offerings that you offer to the Lord. First of all, I will designate where you bring that. See, because when they got in the land, they watched the people around and all over around them were places to worship all the Baals and the false gods. So guess what Israel did? Israel set up in a lot of the high places, wherever you read that in the Old Testament, the high places was for false worship. That's where they worshiped the, the gods of the nations. God said, no, I will appoint the place and you bring your offerings to that place. Verse 12, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, and Levites within your town. All of you will get together when you bring those offerings, and you shall rejoice. I suppose they had some stubborn Israelites. Okay, I'm going to bring my offering, and you told me to rejoice, so I'll rejoice, but I'm not going to enjoy it. <laughs> no. You bring these offerings because they're a reminder that God has allowed you these things. God has given you things in this land that he has given to you. Uh, turn over a few pages to Deuteronomy chapter 26. 
and we look at verse 9 again when you come into the, the land. In fact, back in verse 5, you shall make a response before the Lord your God. Here's what you're going to say. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt. So he's saying every time you come, you be reminded that your forefathers went down into slavery, came back out. God brought you to this place. And in verse 9, and he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. Verse 10 again. Behold, I bring the first of the fruit of the ground. What's the word we use for that? First fruit. We're going to come across that in the next few weeks. I'm bringing the first fruits, which you, O Lord, have given me. And then you set it down, Moses says, set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. Worship Him. When you bring your gifts, worship Him. Um, Isaiah has a, has a beautiful message, but the book of Isaiah doesn't start off that way. If you turn with me to the first chapter of Isaiah, first chapter of Isaiah is... A very sore commentary on the nature of, of Israel's life at that point. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2, God says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Whenever you read something like that, God is calling all of nature, the heavens and the earth at this point. He's setting up a courtroom. We're all familiar with the courtroom and the trial, what's going on today in Washington. You call witnesses. That's what God is doing. God says, I want heaven and earth to witness what I have to say. Children I have reared up and I've brought up, but they have rebelled against me. So I'm, I'm going to tell you what Israel has done. Here's the charge against Israel. Verse 10, basically Israel has left me. Verse 10, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Israel must have bristled when they heard that. God was using the name of these godless towns to call Israel out. You're just like Sodom and Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. I thought God required those. When God required those, he required a heart, a willing heart, an obedient heart that went along with it. Verse 12, when you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings and incenses and abomination to me. Your new moon and your Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. You spread out your hands. I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. But the invitation, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before your eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, Plead the widow's cause. 
Everything Israel was doing, they were doing for themselves, and they forgot to be generous in their selfishness and their sin and their putting away of what, what God says they had forgotten to use the wealth that they had to take care of the poor and the oppressed. In fact, the same thing went on in, in Micah. I won't turn there, but in Micah chapter 6, and Israel cries out, well, what does God demand of us? Will he be satisfied? We're supposed to bring oil. What if I bring rivers of oil? Will he be satisfied then? Just the sarcasm just drips. God, what do you really want from me? I want righteousness. I want justice. I want you to walk humbly with your God. Walt Kaiser in his book on Old Testament ethics wrote, Righteousness, justice, and holiness must be carried into the marketplace where we work as well as a sanctuary in the altar. The last, uh, last passage, I'm sorry, here are all the, the passages I had to turn to. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, simply the reminder that the wise men came from the east offering gifts and they worshipped. And they bowed down and they worshipped. Let's review once again. God created and declared all things good. God gives wealth and the ability to enjoy it. Thirdly, giving of our wealth involves worship. And finally, I can use wealth one way or the other. Wealth en en enables me to serve. Um, Barclay in his book on Timothy said, it, Money in itself is neither good nor bad, simply dangerous in that the love of it may be may become bad. One can selfishly serve his own desires or make it easier for someone else to live as God meant him to live. You see, again, the, the issue in the Old Testament is not mere wealth alone, but it's wise and caring use. Um, wealth in the Old Testament is, is, is neither good nor bad. It is it is considered an evil when it is used selfishly, and when it is uh, be, when it is gotten and not uh, used in a way to worship God. In fact, there are Old Testament laws that protected the ownership of proper, property, uh, not just in order to gain more property, as is in capitalism, but to be hospitable, uh, to help the poor. Wealth is not automatically evil nor poverty automatically virtuous. Um, through wealth I can serve others. And I'm simply going to list some, some passages for you again. Deuteronomy 15. Part of the law, Moses reminded them that God says, I will have no poor among my people. You take care of one another. In fact, um, no prolonged debts. Uh, you take care of the poor. Um, in, Israel, in Exodus 25, if the Israelites lend money to the needy, they were not to charge interest. In Leviticus 25, uh, God established that a year of jubilee would come about in that if someone had to uh, hand over their land because they were in debt, uh, after a certain number of years, that land would go back into their families. Uh, land in Israel was was uh, a special blessing. They were they were um, inheriting a piece of that which God gave them, and now to go into debt and have to give over that land was something 
just crushing to them. And God says, that will not happen. So through wealth, I can serve others. Or through wealth, I can uh, serve myself. Um, if you can find it quickly, I want you to turn to Nehemiah. I'll give you a page number in a moment. There it is, 598. Nehemiah chapter 5. When the people had been in, uh, in, in slavery and in exile, they were, they were ultimately brought back into the land. And there had not been established yet godly rule in that land. So people were doing again, uh, as the period of the judges, whatever was right before them. So here's what was happening in chapter 5 of Nehemiah. Now there arose a great outcry of the people of their and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there was those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. Others said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our houses to get grain. And others who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Your children are as, our, are as their children. And there was forced slavery to pay off these debts. When Nehemiah found out, verse 6, I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. When the people of God came back into the land, they forgot the law of the land. The law of the land was, there will be no poor among my people. You take care of them. And someone needs some money. You loan them the money without interest. But now here they were charging interest and people were going uh, going broke and going into debt and selling their own sons and daughters into slavery. I became angry. Verse 7, I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. And I said, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said, we, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But now you even sell your brothers so that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So Nehemiah says, you give it back. And what you have taken in, in uh, exacting interest and, and far greater interest, you give every piece of that back, you give their land back. Do not treat others like that. The book of Amos, the same thing is going on. One of the prophets Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain, you have built houses of hewn stone, but I'm not going to let you dwell in them. You've planted pleasant vineyards, but you're not going to drink their wine. Woe to you, you're living in luxury while others are grieving and poor. I wanted to point this out to you from the Old Testament that God created wealth, God gives it to us to enjoy when we when we have wealth, we are to worship Him in the giving of it. And when we worship Him, we serve others with it. That's a principle that runs so deeply throughout the Scriptures. How to serve others. Serving others. God has given this for you to serve others. Let me share a story of a, a young lady named Katie Fisher, 17 years old, brought her lamb to a... Um, Madison County, Ohio, junior livestock, state, livestock sale. She had raised this ant, lamb and she was hoping to get a good price for it. 
um, she had battled cancer for some months, and the hospitalization and cost for chemo had just skyrocketed. So she was hoping to 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 have a, a good price for her lamb. So before the auctioneer started at auctioning off this lamb, I'm sorry, I got a little picture of that lamb up here. The auctioneer, the auctioneer told the audience about Katie's condition and what she had gone through. And he was hoping to push that price per pound above the $2 average. Well, it worked. The lamb sold for $11.50. But the buyer then proceeded to give back the lamb and suggest the auctioneer auction it again. And again. And there was a chain of reaction. Family, families and businesses bought that lamb, gave it back again and again. Katie's mother said, the first sale is the only one I remember. After that, I was crying too hard. The lamb was sold 36 times that day, raised more than $16,000 for her needs. What does that illustrate to us? Maybe that generosity catches on. That's what God wanted to see among his people. He wanted to see all of them being generous, not all of them coming back and begin to charging interest. Um, here's some wisdom from uh, the, one of the rabbis, a rabbinic source. If you give to charity while you are poor, you will eventually give in the days of wealth. If you do not give while you are rich, you will eventually abstain from giving because of poverty. God has willed that there be two hands in the matter of charity, one that gives and one that receives. Thank God that yours is the hand that gives. Do not say, I will miss what I give. Be like the sheep who give their wool and have no less the, very, the next year because they have given. I'm going to miss what I put in the offering plate. <laughs> no, you won't. God says, open your hands to me. Give me what I have given to you. And I will not cease to pour out for you. It may be in turn finances. It may be in turn a heart of, of love. I don't know how God responds every time. But you see, wealth reveals relationships. Our relationship to God and our relationship to people who are made in God's image. I've been aware of a term that has come up lately among theologians. It's called, the, the term is cultural Christian. Cultural Christian is one who comes and sits in church and uh, says on the way out, greets the pastor and says, mighty fine, mighty fine speech. I have heard that before. I have heard pastor... That was a good speech. If you want to compliment me, you call it a sermon, okay? <laughs> Frankly, I don't know how to give speeches. I, I'm not good at giving speeches. I've been trained in the Word of God. And I'm not merely giving a speech. If it is only a speech to you, God have mercy on us all. A cultural Christian comes and hears a sermon. And that's it. And he might go home and say to someone something about what the preacher wants us to do. If you've 
if you've caught anything about what the preacher wanted you to do this morning, forget it. Okay. My deep desire is that what God speaks is that God would speak to you through His Word. And if He convicts you on something in His Word, act upon that, not upon my speech. Our wealth reveals so much about us. And so I leave today asking two questions. What do my giving habits reveal of my devotion to God? What do my giving habits reveal of my commitment to others made in God's image? Now I can go back over all those statistics I gave you earlier and say, ah, I'm not giving. I better start catching up. Don't catch up with statistics. Don't catch up with statistics. Catch up with what God has convicted you in your heart to give in honor to Him and to care for His people. Father, thank You so much. You have not left us blind and walking around without instruction. Everything is Yours. You gave it to us and You, Father, give the ability to enjoy it. So when we come to You, Lord, not only what we give in a church offering, not merely that, but when we care for others, when we see others, when we, when we respond either materially or in some way of encouragement, um, Father, may that be out of a heart of love for the people that you have created in your image. May we, may we respond to your great goodness and your great gift to us by giving back all that belongs to you. And Father, may we do so with great joy. In Christ's name, I pray.